So Money episode 548, Ask Farnoosh. You're listening to So Money with award-winning money guru, Farnoosh Torabi. Each day, get a 30-minute dose of financial inspiration from the world's top business minds, authors, influencers, and from Farnoosh herself. Looking for ways to save on gas or double your double coupons? Sorry, you're in the wrong place. Seeking profound ways to live a richer, happier life? Welcome to So Money. Are you looking to buy a home? Maybe you have some debt in your marriage and you want to know about tax deductions? You're in the right place. Welcome to So Money, everyone. It's Ask Farnoosh time. I'm your host, And it is Friday. So as we do every Friday, we're answering your biggest money questions. And like I said, we have questions about real estate, about relationships and money, tax breaks, and everything in between. Joining me, as always, is the awesome Sophia. Welcome to the show. Hey. Hey. I apologize. I'm a little under the weather. You may have noticed. And now I'm just being more vocal about it. (laughs) (laughs) I thought it was going to go away, but I'm just, you know, this. it's like everyone... I feel lucky that I haven't actually gotten like a flu or stomach virus or been out cold for several days. I know people have had all sorts of things happen to them over the last few months. It's been a crazy winter. I've had the sniffles and um, a little bit of a weakening voice. And that could just be because I've been doing this podcast since 2015 (laughs) nonstop. How are you feeling, Sophia? Luckily, I have not been sick this winter, knock on wood. I've made it through the winter without a sniffle or anything in between. So I hope it stays that way. (laughs) Yeah, hopefully, knock on wood. P.S. The best remedy, I did a story a couple years ago on cold remedies. And there's a ton of over-the-counter stuff, obviously. Robitussin, you know, cough drops, cough suppressants. The best ailment, according to Consumer Reports, for somebody who has, like me, congestion, runny nose, cough, is hot tea, lemon, honey. Wow. That's it. You don't so need the Robitussin. Simple. Everything else is very temporary. You might get a quick fix from a cough suppressant. And also, the cough drops are good too. They said, you know, just for the throat. But in general, heat from tea and also the citrus from lemon or lime. And then honey is like just a really great soother for your whole upper respiratory system. And frankly, you know, we've since like, of course, we've had a baby and our apartment gets so dry. We have humidifiers running all over the house, at least in our bedroom and Evan's bedroom. And that's also very helpful. And sometimes I've literally just been head down, head over a humidifier. (laughs) (laughs) And it does help. It just gets everything out. It flushes everything out. It's really, really free, cost effective and works. So if anyone's going through my misery right now, hot tea, lemon and honey. So you're welcome. All right. So before we get to the questions, we have Alicia kicking us off with some good news about her salary. Yeah. So she says she's been a so many listener from the beginning and she accepted a new job offer recently and had your voice in the back of her head as she successfully negotiated a higher starting salary for herself. And she also looked into the XY Planning Network after your interview with Alan and was able to connect with a terrific fee-based financial planner who's helping her get her financial ducks in a row right now. All right. Alan Moore of XY Planning Network. Great. That's awesome. So happy. You know, it just, it makes me feel so great to know when people are making more money, especially women, because the world becomes a better place when women make more. And that she just negotiated. She asked, you know, sometimes people ask, 
how do I, how do I ask for the raise? You just do it. You just ask. And they're obviously best practices. You want to talk about your value. You want to talk about your experience, keep emotion out of it. Keep it really about your research that you've done, hopefully outside of the company to find out what a job like this would merit in the workplace. And there are tons of websites like glassdoor.com and comparably.com that can lead you down those paths to give you some concrete numbers to go in with. So Alicia, congratulations. This is awesome. And now of course you're making more. You want to make sure you've got a grip on that cash flow, hooking up with a financial planner, fee-based financial planner who is a fiduciary. I'm sure Alan Hook gave you the hookup. Very happy to hear. xyplanningnetwork.com is the site if anybody else is interested in finding a fee-based financial planner. And this is kind of the new agey way of working with planners. You know, traditionally and still, there are planners who charge you a percentage of your assets under management. And a lot of those planners won't work with you until you have a certain amount of assets, 500,000, a million. But a lot of younger people and even older people, we don't have that much money and we shouldn't have to go it alone. We should still be able to get the good help. And so XY Planning Network is a consortium of financial planners that a lot of them work virtually too. So if you're in California, you might hook up with someone in in New Orleans or Minnesota and they can work with you via Skype, phone, and work with you on a monthly fee retainer basis, on an hourly fee basis, on a whatever. You know, you can kind of negotiate with them based on what's amenable for you. And that's the beauty of XY Planning Network. So good luck, Alicia, and good luck to everybody else who chooses to work with the planner this year. All right, let's get to the questions now because we know we have a question about real estate. Haley, she's only 21 and she's thinking about buying a house. So she has a steady 30 hour per week job right now that's paying her 30,000 a year while allowing her to pursue some of her entrepreneurial interests. But she's also considering law school in the next five years. So she wants to know if you think she should try and buy a home. She has 5,000 for the down payment and could acquire a $100,000 home with ease, she says. Okay. Well, so Haley's a planner. I like that about Haley. She's a planner, which is always good. And no doubt she'll make a great lawyer. (laughs) Listen, Haley, I think there's nothing wrong with having the goal of wanting to be a homeowner in the future and that you've started to think about it and you actually started to look at the numbers a little bit. I think that no need to rush into things. I think law school is going to be expensive unless you get a scholarship or somehow you make it more affordable for yourself. But law school is quite the investment. And so that combined with homeownership, I think could be a lot, not to say impossible, but it's 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 considerable debt potentially or a lot of money that you're going to be forking over for graduate school. So just, I would say in the meantime, between now and perhaps graduating from law school, you start to really do more research about housing, the housing market. You save continually. And right now, if you were to buy a home and she's telling us she's got $5,000 for a down payment, she could get a $100,000 loan uh, without any problem. That is a 5% down payment, which is really only 5% equity. And I would love for you to be in a place where you could have 20% down for your 
home. Um, so you have more skin in the game. You have more equity that will also help you get a lower interest rate usually on the mortgage when the buyer comes to the table with more cash. Banks like that. And so not to say that you want to go buy a bigger house, but having a bigger down payment can definitely help you financially. And there's a lot of readiness that goes into becoming a homeowner. You have to know whether or not you just, it's not just a financial decision. It is also an emotional commitment. It's a psychological commitment. It's a time commitment. So you're 21, you're working, you want to go to school, do that. And in the meantime, save, continue to educate yourself about real estate. And hopefully as you're graduating from law school and you get that big job with the great salary and you're addressing your loans, you can start to look at the reality then of actually buying a home. And by then you've got more money to work with, hopefully more experience, more education. And you know, that's how I would do it. I would pace yourself no need to rush into things. You'll still only be in your 20s when you become a homeowner and take it from there. She gave us some other background about herself, right? What else did she say? Yeah, she says she has a modest Roth IRA and she has guaranteed employment even though she's part-time and the market where she's living is growing so she could convert the house into a rental at some point. Right. I mean, I kind of see this as like if she were to do this now to buy the house and turn it into a rental – Maybe in 10 years, she'll look back and be like, that was an incredible decision and an incredible investment. And so I don't want to say absolutely no to this, but I'm going to play the devil's advocate a little bit. I'm going to be a little bit more conservative and say like, she's got a lock on her plate. This may not be something that she wants to rush into. And if she is going to do this, she wants to make sure that she does all her research, that she talks to other people who have done work in real estate in the neighborhood that have perhaps bought investment properties, that she understands the cash flow potential of buying an investment property and turning it into a rental, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. I think she's a smart woman and could probably pull it off, but just make sure Haley that whatever you do, you don't rush into things. You don't just take someone's word. You know, you don't just take one person's opinion. You talk to many people in the market about whether or not it's a smart time to rent. You know, how much could you get for the rent? Do the run the numbers. There's probably data that you could get from various sources about the average rent for a particular bedroom house. And so just, you know, just do the math. Be clear on the expectations of you as a landlord too, if this is something that you really want to do. But it sounds like you're off to a really strong start as a 21-year-old. Mazel tov. And I'm, I'm not Jewish, but I love that saying. <laughs> <laughs> Lena or Lena has a question regarding her marriage and the debt that they have to deal with. Yeah. So she and her husband started their marriage with a ton of student loan debt, and now they proceeded to fall into some credit card debt. Her student loans will be paid off this month, and her husband has about $40,000 left. They also have 16000 in credit card debt and want to know how they should plan to tackle the debt. I should note that they don't mention what their interest rate is currently on the debt. Okay. So there's no sense of how much interest the debt is carrying. No. I'm going to assume that the credit card debt carries a higher interest than the student loan debt, just because that's on average what happens. And so to me, that seems to be what should be priority. Of course, pay off your student loans every month, the minimum, just 
stay on that path. With the credit card debt, the two of you should really come together and look at your budget, look at your expenses and see how you can shore up more money to put towards that debt, not just be paying the minimums. I think the faster you can get out of that credit card debt, the better. And not knowing what their incomes are, not knowing how they're spending. This could be a situation where if your minimum credit card bill every month and your minimum student loan bill every month combined is eating up more than 20, 25% of your take-home pay, then I would say you may wanna work with a credit counselor. And you can go to the National Foundation for Credit Counseling. That's nfcc.org. There's also Money Management International, moneymanagement.org. These are accredited certified credit counselors who will help you as they look at your budget, they look at your spending, your cash flow, come up with a plan and also work on your behalf to negotiate with your lenders to maybe reduce interest rates, come up with a payment plan. This isn't a quick fix kind of settlement path. You're not going to a debt settler. You're going to an organization that's going to help you better manage the debt to get out of this debt in still maybe a few years, but over that period of time, it's going to be more amenable to you. So that might be something to consider again, if your debt is adding up to more than 20, 25% of your budget. And as far as, you know, the two of you, how you should tackle this, I think it's, it would be wise that your husband talk to his student loan provider and talk about what are some modification plans. The two of you should have monthly meetings. You know, Sophia, we talk a lot on the show when we've got planners on and others who are couples or married couples. They say what really helps is to have that monthly check-in or sometimes weekly. If you're really going through something like this, the the more frequently that you talk about it and that you check in with one another, I think that's all well and good and probably really healthy. So schedule a time maybe once a week after you've, you know, come home from work and you're not stressed and you can open up a bottle of wine and just kind of go over the balances and start a spreadsheet. You can start tracking this on something like mint.com or, you know, other ways, but really important that you really get the visual down, that you both have access to it. You can see the progress. And in some cases it maybe makes sense to work with a third party, like a credit counselor. All right, Lena, good luck to you. And now a question about taxes. (laughs) (laughs) Stick with us people. I promise I make this a snooze fest. So our question about taxes is from Joe, and he's wondering if it makes sense to write in his medical expenses if they are less than 10% of his annual income. For example, if he only spent $2,000 on medical expenses, should he just not include it? Yeah. So the rule is with medical expenses, they're deductible as long as your expenses meet a minimum of 10% of your pay. And so if he is not meeting that minimum, he perhaps will not qualify for the deduction. Joe, if you are working with a tax planner or someone who's doing your taxes, they may also be able to give you some more insight. But generally, from what I understand, and I'm not a CPA, I'm not a tax expert, but even in my own experience, when my expenses do not add up to the particular threshold that the IRS requires before you can actually claim the expense, uh, you're kind of, you know, 
you kind of can't do anything about it. So just keep that in mind for next year as you're you know, taking on expenses, not to say that you want to spend more than you have to, but do keep you know track of your expenses and also know what all the expenses could possibly be. You know, out-of-pocket medical expenses can be everything from over-the-counter drugs to co-payments to, you know, whatever, uh, your contacts, braces, you know, so there's a lot of things that fall under that umbrella and get a second opinion, Joe. I don't know everything about taxes, so do get a second opinion. All right. Now, Emily, she's going to round us out here with a question about negotiating. Yeah. So right. right now she's working for a startup and they recently decided to make employment contracts for everyone and any new employees moving forward. So she wants to know, is salary included in a contract and would now be an appropriate time to bring up a raise before she goes about signing the contract? So she's already working for this startup. Yeah. And what they're doing is they are basically redoing everyone's contracts. That's what it sounds like. Okay. So yeah, I think if she hasn't gotten a raise recently, if she hasn't talked about her income or her pay with her employer recently, this is a good time before the contract gets drafted or or perhaps if they're going to give it to her and they allow the employees to give their feedback see what they're going to offer you. Maybe they're going to maybe give you a little bit of a raise on their own. I doubt it. But you know, maybe what you could do is wait to see what the contract says. Then if you're not happy, go in and talk about the changes that you would like to make. But yeah, I think this is a fine time to bring it up because once that contract is made and signed, it's very difficult to go back. And sometimes, you know, they, these contracts may have terms. So for a year, for two years, for three years until you can renew it. So if you're going to lock yourself into something like a salary for a given period of time, you want to be happy with that salary because once they're locked in, then you can't renegotiate until that contract is up for renewal. So this is a very appropriate time to talk money. And maybe we should hook up Emily with Alicia, (laughs) our first person who chimed in and talking about how she got a raise. I think, you know, the, the bottom line, Emily, is it's never a bad time to talk about money. Of course, it's probably not going to work in your favor if you've already agreed to the job and you've already started the job and you're like, wait a minute, I really don't want to make this much and trying to go back and turn the wheels backwards. I think that, you know, this is a great time to bring it up. So go for it and keep us posted. Hopefully you'll have a good anecdote to share just like Alicia did. Thanks everyone. I love these questions. I really appreciate you guys trusting me with them. And I'll be honest with, if I don't have all the answers like Joe, I think, I think it's true that you can't really claim those medical expenses because they don't exceed at least 10% of your annual income, but it doesn't hurt to get a second opinion, especially when it has to do with taxes. Listen, I get, I get second opinions from two different CPAs sometimes because Tax code is a very complicated and hairy thing. It is. um, You know, it's just, it always helps to get uh, as many opinions as possible. All right, everyone. Thank you so much. Thank you, Sophia. Of course. And I hope everybody has a so money weekend. 